Well, good morning, everyone. And let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are holy, 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 high and lifted up. And yet you have condescended to be Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we pray that you would renew our minds with a love and knowledge of you that we would know what is pleasing to you in our thoughts and in our actions and that we would think on these things. In your name we pray, amen. So Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Over the last two years, I've thought a lot about this verse, about setting my mind on above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, instead of speculating about what might or might not be. Because if we're speculating about what might or might not be, we are not setting our minds above. You see, we are what we consume, not just what we eat physically, but where our thoughts dwell shape our character. How we act and respond to others is a reflection of our thought life and how we are responding in our thoughts and in our minds. Do we extend grace, believing the best of others? Or do we consistently think about the worst case scenario? the worst case scenario for your future, your children, your finances, or for society. David Murray in his book Reset notes that many of us live as if Philippians 4.8 says, whatever things are false, whatever things are sordid, whatever things are wrong, whatever things are filthy, whatever things are ugly, whatever things are terrible, if there is any vice, and if there is anything worthy of criticism, meditate on these things. Does the worst case scenario keep you up at night? David Murray goes on in his book to tell of someone who's struggling with insomnia he had been counseling him through journaling and reading a book called The Anxiety Cure by Archibald Hart, which he described as a lifesaver. But the person being counseled admitted, I hadn't taken seriously the need to work on my unbiblical, sinful, and quite counterproductive habits of thought that contributed to my downturns. I was determined to get a rein on my mental world regardless of what my body's chemistry was doing or not doing. It was the missing piece. It took time, 
but I was increasingly growing in my mastery over the spiritual, mental, and emotional toxins. Mind reading, excessive second guessing, oversensitivity, putting too much stock in people's opinions of me, over troubleshooting others' problems, assuming the worst of people and situations. I began enjoying victory over my mind. I was actually finding the mental switch after too many years of assuming it was unfindable to turn off thoughts that crept in on my pillow. Sorry, thought. It's time for sleep. Come back and visit me tomorrow. Nighty night. End quote. He admitted that he needed to work on unbiblical, sinful, counterproductive habits of thought that contributed to his downturns and anxiety. He then lists a bunch of emotional toxins, mind reading, because we know their motive. We know what they really mean when they say that. The excessive second guessing of having made the decision but needing to make it over and over again to make sure that it's the right, the perfect decision. Checking in with oversensitivity, are we easily offended? Do we choose to be offended when no offense is given? Or putting too much stock in other people's opinion of me? Over troubleshooting someone else's problem, where we fix it multiple times for them if they would just actually do what we say. But we actually don't have all of the facts about what's going on. And then assuming the worst of people and situations. There is a biblical theology of avoidance that when you recognize yourself thinking these emotionally toxic thoughts, to flee, to take your thoughts captive. First Timothy 6.11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this. And Paul's talking about the love of money, but it applies to many situations. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Or 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. This is not easy. It takes time. It's not as if we're going to work on it for a year when we're young and going to say we've mastered it for a lifetime. It is something that we continually work on throughout our Christian lives. And the first step is recognizing when we have these thoughts. We cannot take our thoughts captive if we do not recognize them. The second is actually taking them captive. And what does that mean, take your thoughts captive? 
The reference comes from 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. John Piper, commenting on this passage, notes that verse 4, For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. That's what we're talking about, this warfare. The activities which describe our spiritual weapons in this are, one, have the ability to destroy arguments or proud opinions, and two, have the ability to take every thought captive in order to, or for the purpose of, obeying Christ. But the context is that it is Paul who is defeating the arguments and proud opinions against God and taking the thoughts of others captive so that they now obey Christ. It's not a command to us. It is a statement about what Paul's doing to his opponents that he's arguing with so that they can think rightly about the word of God. We're not doing this to ourselves, but there is a way to apply this to ourselves. We're part of the group that Paul is demolishing. It is our proud opinions and arguments, the ones that we hold close and don't want to let go. We're the ones who have our excuses confronted and whose every thought is being taken captive. This is a call for us to listen to Paul and submit our thinking to the word of God. We're to put our thoughts in submission to scripture, to lay ourselves open to the risen Christ presented in Paul's letters because we don't fight on a fleshly level only. There is a spiritual battle going on. We're to lay aside our wants, our preferences, our opinions, our desires. And for this work, prayer is vitally important. This is The Thought of God by Maurice Roberts. And there's copies in the book corner for anyone who's interested. But it was said by Charles H. Spurgeon that he could write his life story in the sky for all to read and had nothing to be ashamed of. That was a wonderful testimony and one that fully fits that good man of God. It is not so easy for the believer today to keep himself spotless when there is mud continually being thrown up into his face and onto his clothes by every artifice of modern technology. Christians do not live in a thought world which is hermeneutically sealed off from the rest of mankind, nor do they wear asbestos clothing, which is proof against all flame and fire. There is only one safe course to follow, 
and that is the unglamorous one of taking heed to the injunction, watch and pray. Do we watch our thoughts and pray to God? That we would be doing Philippians 4.8 and thinking on those things that are pure and honorable and lovely and worthy of praise and excellence. Do we pray, Lord, if there is anything in my thinking that needs to be destroyed, please destroy it. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Do your work in our lives and in our thoughts. Because mere intellect will not save us. We're a generation who loves our intellect. Help us to seek your face. Help our unbelief. Are we willing to have false doctrine and false teaching that we have previously sat under torn down so that it can be rebuilt on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Are we willing to be humbled by having what we thought the Bible taught and to be reshaped by what it really says in context? Are we willing to be corrected? I was raised in the United Church and they do not teach the gospel. But I was familiar with much of the Old Testament and the gospels. But it was all taught to me as a moral story. David was a man after God's own heart. Do what David did. Adultery and murder? Well, they didn't talk about those sections. They just sort of skipped over them. And so this is one where submitting our thoughts to God's word requires an understanding of who God is, his character, and what is he communicating in his word? A salvation by grace. Are we willing to tear down those old ways of thinking to grow in the knowledge, love, and grace of our Lord and Savior? And even with this message, I had things I wanted to say. Well, scripture in the context of the passage didn't go there, so we're not going to go there. It really went down an unexpected path. And for some of you, you've sat under previous teaching and you're unsure if it aligns with God's word or not. You have ways of thinking and acting that need to be submitted to God's word. And it's not going to happen overnight or even in the course of a year. And there are many here who can tell you that it's like peeling an onion, where layers are exposed as you go deeper and deeper as you grow in God's word. It's been 17 years since the Lord saved me, and I'm still finding layers and depths to his word that confront me. Cindy Matson asks, do you turn off the light, close your eyes, 
and wait for sleep to take you. Instead, your mind runs off thinking of the events of the day behind you, your to-do list for the day in front of you, and all your fears for the future. Your body aches with exhaustion, yet you don't sleep because your mind is racing out of control. Sound familiar? Satan loves to attack when we're the most vulnerable. Hungry, sick, lonely, or tired. It makes sense, then, that in the quietness of the night, the battleground of our minds would be particularly susceptible. If your mind instructs you in the wrong things in the night, perhaps it's merely repeating the counsel that it's heard during the day. If you binge on the news instead of scripture, you'll likely grapple with outrage, fears about the days ahead. If you feast on the world's entertainment and counsel your, the counsel of your mind will be full of independent, skeptical, and behavioralistic thoughts. The bottom line is that our minds are being counseled somehow and they will instruct us in the dark. The question is, what counsel are they being fed? End quote. When we repeat worldly ways of thinking in our mind, we create ruts that come out in our word and in our character. So let's go back to that list of emotional toxins and ask what do they say about how we view God? Mind reading. Are we the all-knowing one who sees into the hearts and minds of those around us to know their motives? Are we so reluctant to ask questions that clarify on why something is happening instead of speculating because we want to figure it out on our own? Excessive second guessing. Do we expect perfection from ourselves in this life to such a degree that we want assurances that it'll be the right decision before it's even made? Do we not give grace to ourselves or others when a decision is wrong? or needs to be adjusted? Are we so lacking in the grace that he has extended to us? Oversensitivity. When our focus is solely on ourselves, it is hard to imagine that someone is just having a bad day and it all just came out wrong. When we make it about us, we cannot extend compassion and grace to those around us. Putting too much stock in people's opinion. We all want to be liked. We want to make friends. And yet our identity in God as his children is what gives us the confidence to be ourselves around others and to enjoy a variety of people that he has made even when they disagree with us. Over troubleshooting others' problems. Do you take on others' problems to the point of assuming you're the only one who can fix it? That you're the only source of support? This is not about absolving us from helping each other, but recognizing our own limits and the power of the Lord to provide. 
assuming the worst of people in situations, being judgmental and condemning. We tend to attribute the best of attentions to ourselves, regardless of the outcome, but attribute the worst of intentions to others. Now, many of us would say that we don't think those things about God or about ourselves. Of course not. Yet it is frequently how we act. And that's why we need to be, need to be confronted by scripture, to be exposed, to have our thoughts, our words, our actions demolished and taken captive so that we can call good, good, and evil, evil. So here are some examples of confronting various thoughts with scripture. You say, I'm too tired. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You say it's impossible. Luke 18, 27. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You say, nobody really loves me. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that none may perish but have eternal life. Or John 13, 34. A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you are a sister in Christ in this congregation, you can know that you are loved. You say, I can't go on. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Or Psalm 91.15, God says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. When we feel like we can't go on, you're reminded that he hears our prayers. You say, I'm not able, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. You say, I can't forgive myself. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, I can't manage. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You say, I am afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
You say, I feel alone. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You say, I can't figure it out. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You say, I am always worried and frustrated. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We are to set our minds on things above where Christ is. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And this is a long passage, but this really sums up everything this morning. Um, So Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to put to death the old ways and clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When we set our minds on things above, on Christ, our Savior, who gave his perfectly sinless life on our behalf, it gives us a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. It really lifts our thoughts 
from our own self-interests to see the bigger picture of what he is doing in our lives. And it is this eternal perspective of how he has forgiven us that allows us to bear with each other and forgive one another. To not be so easily offended, but to recognize that these people might be the ones that we spend eternity with in heaven. Sometimes we get annoyed and frustrated with others as they continually point us to Christ. We wonder if they're truly hearing us. Don't they realize that we have real problems that are wearing us down? I want to remind you here today that when someone in this room or in this church points you to Christ, we're not saying that your problems are not important, but that when we look to Christ, who is our hope, that we gain a different perspective, that heavenly perspective as we are reminded of what Christ did for us when we were still sinners, far off, and yet we are brought near by the blood of the Lamb. We may not have an answer for your situation, but we do know that God is relevant in all circumstances, and that he hears you, that he sees you, and that he cares for you. Close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can get together and fellowship and encourage one another and exhort one another to love and good deeds. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring people into our lives that would speak truth into our lives with love and that would, in love, confront our thoughts so that they can be taken captive and demolish wrong thinking and that we would bring our lives in agreement with your word to say good is good and evil is evil. Lord, I pray that we would all be growing in spiritual maturity here and that you would be working and living and active in our lives through your word. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.